something that's sort of, it's, it's hard to, to grasp. It's hard to kind of figure out what it's all about. But today we are continuing our series, Rock Theology, and we're going to learn some wisdom from the song that they just sang. And that wisdom is, is that love is definitely more than a feeling. Now, how do we define love, and where do we get our definition of love? And I really believe the best place to look for, or to look to, uh, concerning what love is, is to look into Scripture. And probably the most famous passage of Scripture that deals with love is 1 Corinthians chapter 13. It's known as the love chapter. My guess is, is that there are many of you here that during your wedding, you had the pastor read parts of 1 Corinthians chapter 13. And so that's what we're going to do today. We're just going to look in four verses, beginning in verse number four. And we're going to see that what Paul is doing here is Paul is sharing with us how love acts and how love functions. And he points out to us that love is more than a feeling. Now, the church that he's writing to, the church in Corinth, was, it's really an interesting church, an interesting place. Uh, it's located today in, in modern-day Greece. But what's interesting about the town is a highly traveled area, and there's a lot of commerce that took place there. And they also had the Temple of Aphrodite in this town. Now, the Temple of Aphrodite was uh, a temple to the goddess. Aphrodite was the goddess of love. So you would think that this is a town that knew a lot about love. So it's kind of interesting. Paul is writing the love chapter to a town that has a, a temple to love. Now, the problem is their view of love was absolutely perverted. It was skewed. It was all messed up. In this temple, they had over a 1,000 temple prostitutes. And so this was not, it was not a biblical definition of love. And the unfortunate thing is that the church in Corinth, the Christians in this church, they had a skewed view of love as well. And so they had a morality that was taking place in the church. And so Paul's trying to help them out here. He's trying to point out to them, hey, guys, listen, I want you to understand, love is more than a feeling. And what I want to do is I want to show you what a real definition of love is. And so it's my hope today that we will see a biblical definition of love. Because I believe that we have a very, and when I say we, I'm just talking about in general, that we have a very twisted, strange view and not a biblical view of what love is. Well, what are, what are some definitions of love? Well, the very first one that I see is this. It's, that is, love is costly. If you really want to know what love is, one thing that you will discover is love is something that costs you. Um, look with me in verses 4 and 5. It says, love is patient. Love is kind. Love does not envy. It's not boastful. It's not conceited. does not act improperly. It's not selfish, it's not provoked, does not keep a record of wrongs. Now, the focus for us today is going to be on verses 4 through 7. It's a lot of different descriptions of love and how love acts. And, and one thing that I want you to see is that when, it talks, when Paul talks about love, he does not talk about how do you feel. You know, did I, did you, when you met with that person, when you had a date with them, did you have that warm, fuzzy feeling on the inside? It's not love. Every time Paul talks about love in this text, love is, he's speaking of love as being an action. Now, the Corinthian church, they were, they were very gifted people. God had blessed this church tremendously, but they had a horrible definition of love. 
When you read through 1 Corinthians chapter, or all of, actually all of 1 Corinthians, you'll see that their view of love was, it was perverse, it was, for one, it was performance driven. You know, they would, they would say, I will love you if you love me. Now, if you don't love me, I'm not going to love you. In, in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, now this is hard to imagine, I'm sure for some of you, there are people that did not like each other in church. Now, y'all believe that? They didn't like each other. And so whenever they got in a fight with each other, the people were actually suing each other in the church. I thought that litigation was just a problem that we have today. Apparently, it's been a problem for a really long time. And so they had a kind of love that was very conditional. It was based on performance. And I, I, I think of that, and I look at that, and I think, well, why in the world would anybody, if they look at the church and they see that we have that kind of love, why would anybody want to be a part of the church like that? You know, if, if, if your love is no different than mine, then why in the world is it important me, for me to follow after God? Jesus addressed this. Jesus said in Matthew 5, 46 and 47, he said, for if you love those who love you, what reward will you have? He said, don't even the tax collectors do the same? The tax collectors, they used to cheat people. And so they were some of the most despised people in all of Israeli society. He said, and if you greet only your brothers, what are you doing out of the ordinary? Don't even the Gentiles do the same? So we're believers. We're to love differently. And so my question is, well, what is, what is your definition of love? And I'll be honest with you, my definition of love oftentimes is very worldly. A lot of times my my love has a propensity to sort of lean towards a performance-driven love. And that's why I'm convicted whenever I look in our text today because I see that it tells me that love is something that that is costly. And one thing it says, if you look at the very beginning of verse number four, it says love is, you remember the very first one? patient. Isn't that awful? I mean, why start off the definition of love with something that most of us struggle with? Love is patient. I mean, we're impatient with microwave popcorn. And then God is telling us that love is supposed to be something that is patient. Like, man, how is that supposed to happen? But the idea is that the nature of the beast when you love somebody is that there will be mistakes. That's why there has to be patience in the midst of love. As you grow older, you discover more and more that love is something that is messy. That's really messy. For those of you who are parents, you remember what it's like when you brought your kids home? You know, when they're, and they're brand new babies. I, I had never been with children before. So we have these kids. So we, you know, the first one, we, you bring your kid home. And then you know, they have these accidents. And you're supposed to change their diapers and I, y'all, seriously, I remember, I remember changing a diaper sitting there going, I cannot believe that I'm doing this. Now, why was I doing it? It's because my wife is mean, and she made me. Now, I was changing that diaper for a very simple reason. It's because I love my kid. As a matter of fact, I loved him so much that I was willing to be involved in the midst of his mess. Now, the goal that Emily and I had is that as he, as he and he and then she got older, that they would learn how to take care of themselves, but it was a process, right? I mean, it didn't happen overnight. It was something that we had to be patient with. That's what love is. It's patient. 
The, the word patience literally means to be long-suffering. You might think, well, I, what's the point of that? You know, why would, I, why would I want to do something like that? Because that is the way God has loved you and me. Romans 5.8, it says God demonstrates his own love towards us in this, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Now, Christ is patient with us in love like this in order to win us over to him. And when you love other people in patience and in kindness, they're going to believe that you really love them. And they're going to get a picture of the kind of love that God has for you. Another, another picture or another cost of love we see in verse number 5 is it tells us that real love costs you because it keeps no record of wrongs. Now, I look at that and I think, well, what is that supposed to mean? Well, it doesn't mean that you ignore the failings of others. It doesn't mean that you turn a blind eye to other failings, but you work through them. I'm an example of this again with kids. You know, if for some strange reason, kids, kids like traffic. You know, you, you get in a parking lot, you open the door up for your kid to get out, and what's your kid do? When they're right, they, they get out and they just start running. They don't look left or right, and they run out. Now, as a parent, when you see that, what do you do? You run over and grab your kid. Now, if they do it again, do you step back and say, well, you know, obviously that's something they want to do, and I don't want to impede them. You know, I want them to be able to enjoy I want them to be able to make their own decisions. Y'all, we do this a lot in other stuff. I want them to make their own choices. So y'all go play in traffic. There is no way you do that as a parent. You grab your kid, and I've seen some of you do it, and it's been great. I'm, like, so excited. And so you grab your kid, and you whack him on the bottom, and then you find a, you find a dead squirrel that's smashed down, and you say, if you do this again, this is what you're going to look like. Now, you do that, why? Because you love your kid. Now, if they continue to do it, do you quit loving them? I mean, do you say, well, that's it. I'm not, I'm not doing that anymore. You know, you're going to have to suffer the consequences. No, you, you keep teaching your, chi- your children like this so that they will understand that they need to watch out for themselves so that they can be protected. You want them to know that you have your best intentions in mind for them. Guys, that is what God does with us. And that kind of love is risky because there's always the chance that you're going to mess up and fail. But that's why love is costly. And so that's the definition of love. Love is costly. But here's another one I see, and that is this. Love is also considerate. Love is considerate. And in verse number 6, it talks about love like this. It says, love finds no joy in unrighteousness, but it rejoices in the truth. Now, I've, I've, always, uh, I've always been, for some reason, I've always been kind of competitive. And it doesn't matter. You know, we can be playing Uno, you know, or we can bowl or, you know, play golf. Whatever, I, I, whatever it is, I want to do what I can to try to win. And sometimes I have, if I'm playing with somebody, I have these thoughts against them because I want to win. Oh, yeah, I mean, you, know, they'll, you know how people when they hit a good golf shot, oh, nice shot. I don't say that. In my mind, I'm thinking, I hope you shank it. And so, you know, that's, that's just a, the, sort of the competitive nature that I have. Now, now, whenever somebody is like that, what does that say about them? Well, it says a little bit on the probably selfish side. Uh, it says that they're a little bit shallow. But when God touches your life, he changes you to be considerate of others. I mean, seriously, when God touches you, one thing that begins to happen in your life is you begin to see that other people are more important 
than yourself. That other people are, are more worthy of being watched out for, first of all, before you even look out for yourself. And I heard this wonderfully illustrated right after 9-11. After 9-11, there's a church that's right near the Twin Towers, where the Twin Towers were. It's called St. Paul's Cathedral. Uh, George Washington used to go to church there. And uh, one of the, one of the um, men in that church, he went to 9-11 right after it happened, and he began to dig people out of the rubble. And as he was working down there, he ended up seriously damaging his leg. And he had a horrible limp. And a, an elderly lady that lived in the community heard about it. And so she walked down to the church. She had to get through security, and she walked into the church, found out where the man was. She walked over to him, and she said, I have nothing else to give you but this. And she gave him her cane. And then they said she waddled out of the church and went back home. They have that cane on display at the church as a picture of what love is. Love is about duty. Love is about sacrifice. It is about caring for others. It's about putting others before yourself. Paul also said that love doesn't find joy in other people's shortcomings. And I think a lot of times we, we struggle with this because we want to win. You know, because we want to come out on top, because it makes us feel better. But believers, this is what's interesting. When you love, love is displayed in that you cheer people on. That when somebody falls down, that, that you are there to pick them up. Paul addressed the same subject in Galatians chapter 6 when he said, Brothers, if someone is caught in any wrongdoing, you who are spiritual, does it say that you are to make fun of them? That you are to rejoice? I knew he was going to do that eventually. No, it says you should restore such a person with a gentle spirit, watching out for yourselves so that you won't be tempted also. It says carry one another's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. Real love doesn't find joy when people mess up. You know, real love doesn't look when somebody stumbles and falls and says, yes, I've been waiting for that to happen to them. A part of real love is to lift people up, and, and here's the reason why. Because guys, let me tell you something. There's coming a day when we're going to stumble too. When we're going to fall into the pit and we need another brother or sister in Christ to come over to us and help pull us out of the pit as well. Now this verse more than likely was addressed to the Corinthians because this is what they were struggling with. Like I said, they were gifted people, but as you read the book of 1 Corinthians, they are continent, they're throwing each other under the bus all the time. Because they want to get a leg up on their on their what they call their opponents. Paul referred to this in, in 2 Corinthians 12. He, he wrote, For I fear that perhaps when I come to you I will not find you what I want find you to be what I want, and I might not I might or I may not be found by you to be what you want. And there may be quarreling and jealousy, outburst of anger, selfish ambition, slander, gossip, arrogance, and disorder. All these things were they were already taking place in the church here. Not, not a good picture of the church. But you know what I'm learning? I'm learning that whenever, whenever we serve people and we love people and we care for people and we put them on the path and direct them to the path that God wants them to be on, did you, there is joy in that. And there really is. There is great joy when you see somebody who is restored. I look into our text again and we're told that love will rejoice in the truth. Now, what is, what is the truth? God's word is truth. What is God's word? What can God's word do? When we, what does it do when we share truth with people? You know what it does? It frees people. 
truth will rescue people. Listen to what Paul wrote in uh, 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 11. He said, do not be deceived. He said, no sexually immoral people, idolaters, adulterers, male prostitutes, homosexuals, thieves, greedy people, drunkards, revilers, or swindlers will see God's kingdom. Now here comes my favorite part. And some of you were just like this. But you were washed. said you were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of God. Isn't that cool? I mean, there's all these people. They are in the midst of mess. They are destroyed. They are ungodly. But God says, you know what? If you will point them to me, there's something I can do that will give them freedom. I can change their heart and redeem their lives. That's what love is. And what's love? Guys, in love, it is more than a feeling. It really is. Well, then what is it? It's costly. And love's not always easy. It's costly. But love is also considerate. And then this is the last one I want you to see. Love is enduring. Love endures. Verse number 7, speaking of love again. It says, love, it bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. So if you go back to the very first part of that verse, it says love bears all things. That word bear, it means a roof. Isn't that interesting? Now what does a roof do? It gives shelter, right? I mean, it keeps the bad weather off of you, protects you. That's love. Love bears all things. Love covers you. A, a great verse that goes along with this idea is 1 Peter 4, 8, where it says, Above all, keep your love for one another at full strength, since love covers a multitude of sins. Real love, when you really love somebody, and other people see that you love a person, you're, what you're doing is you're letting them know, listen, if you're going to get to them, you've got to come through, through me first. Because I love this person, and I will protect them. Again, as parents, you do this all the time. If you see your kids in a situation they shouldn't be in, you're, you're going to go to them and say, hey, listen, I, I'm going to give you instruction because you don't need to be here. I want to protect you. If you see that they're hanging out with the wrong group of people, you're, if you can, you're going to yank them out of that crowd. Now, they might not like it, but you don't care. Why? Because you love them. So I always encourage parents, man, make sure you bring your kids into the church and you bring them in to Bible study and to the youth group ministries and the student ministries. That's not because every kid in the church is perfect. That might shock some of you. Not every one of them is perfect. Not every one of them has lived a five-star Christian life. Now, most of them have. First service is really bad. But this service is really good. But here's the deal. Here's what you can know when you bring them. You can know that they will be taught what the Bible says. You can know that the leaders that they have are people they can look up to who can give them direction, biblical direction, about how to live a godly life. They're going to be teachers who are going to look at your children and they're going to say, you know what, I believe in you. Even though you're in the midst of mess right now, I believe in you, not necessarily because of who you are, but because of who our God is and what our God can do through your life. You see, the power of Jesus will trump everything. And people need to know that. They need to know that God doesn't give up on us. 
2 Peter 3.9 says, The Lord is not slow in keeping His promise. So some understand slowness. He's patient with you. Not wanting anyone to perish, but all to come to repentance. In his book, Mortal Lessons, there's a guy named Richard Selzer who's a surgeon. And he wrote a story about one of his patients in his book that I thought was, I thought was interesting. Here's what he wrote. He said, I stand by the bed where a young, a young woman lies. Her mouth is twisted and palsy. It's clownish. He said, a tiny twig of the facial nerve has been severed to remove the tumor in her cheek. He had to cut the little nerve in her face, which disfigured her mouth. He said her husband was in the room, and they were talking to one another. He hadn't seen his wife until that moment. And then she looked over at the doctor, and she said, Doctor, will my face always be this way? And he said, Yes, it will. He said, I had to cut the nerve to get rid of the tumor. Her eyes began to tear up, and her husband looked down at her. And he looked at his wife, and he said, You know what? He said, I like it. He said, I think it's cute. He said, and he reached down and he kissed her on that mouth. He said, that is love. And guys, that's why God loves us. You see, God sees us in our disfigurement. And I promise you, everybody in this room today is disfigured in some way. Carrying some baggage, carrying some scars. And I want you to know that God looks at you and he reaches down and he loves you anyway. That's the kind of love we're to have. That's love. But it's hard to know that love unless you know the kind of love that God has for you. And I said, well, no, what exactly is love? What, what are the feet that come with love? Well, the Bible defines it for us. It says love is costly, love is considerate, and love is enduring. What is love? Love is a force that you can give to your children to help them to be able to see Jesus. What what is love? Love, a godly love, a biblical love, is a love that loves you regardless, that loves you unconditionally, and that is enduring. And that's how God loves you. Now the question is, do you know that kind of love from God? Have you experienced that love from God before? Because I would almost, maybe I should, I would beg you to put yourself before Jesus and say, God, I want your love. There are some of you that have never done that before. And you are as stubborn as a mule because you want to hang on to everything by yourself. But you know, you're not satisfied. Don't you, want to, don't you want that kind of love? The love of the Bible, love is patient. Love is kind. Love keeps no record of wrongs. That's pretty amazing. My hope for you today is that you will choose that love. Love. 